Eva Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. This week, I'm having a special conversation about gender equity in the workplace with Yolande James, Executive Director, Diversity and Inclusion for French language broadcaster Radio-Canada of the French CBC. A lawyer and mediator, Yolande became the first Black woman elected to Quebec's National Assembly in 2004, and she was the first person from the Black community appointed to a government of Quebec cabinet position when she was named Minister of Immigration and Cultural Communities in 2007. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship programs. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. In her role, Yolande leads Radio-Canada's inclusion and engagement initiatives, providing support and guidance on their diversity and inclusion projects. She also helps the public broadcaster achieve its diversity recruitment, promotion, and development targets. This conversation takes place today as we release a special report about gender equity in the workplace, along with our partners at Renstad Canada. In today's world, where talent scarcity, an aging population, and a borderless tech-driven post-pandemic business context make up our reality, it comes as no surprise that building an inclusive, equitable, and accessible working environment yields better results in terms of performance and engagement. But do companies really practice what they preach? For Canadian women, things are not as glossy as companies might make them appear. According to national research conducted by Randstad, women feel the pace of change is slow. Despite increased awareness around equity, women say they still are not offered the same opportunities as men. In this conversation with Yolande, we explore how and why implementing gender equity ensures a work culture where everyone can thrive and where women can feel like the proper elements are in place for positive experience that supports their growth. For more about our report on gender equity at work, head to thebrandisfemale.com. For now, here's our conversation. Yolande, welcome to The Brand is Female. It's such a pleasure having you with me today, and thank you so much for making time to speak with me. I'm so happy to be here and to meet with you and um, to have this great conversation. I like to start these conversations usually by going back in time to get to the origin story of your whole professional journey. So I'm always curious to know, growing up as a young woman, what did you think you'd be doing in, in later in life from a career standpoint? What kind of career were you imagining for yourself? So it's interesting that I didn't, um, I didn't, so I, I'm a trained lawyer and, and, and I was in politics for 10 years and now I'm an executive at a media company. But as a child, it's funny how other outside factors are determining factors to how you see yourself. So maybe no shock to you if I, if I, I was a talker, always been a talker. <laughs> like the moment there was language, French, English, I was talking. And um, from the time that I was, I want to say around maybe five years old, I always wanted to defend my point. Like it, mm. no was just not acceptable. Like, and I expected mm-hmm. to that my whatever, if you refused me something, you had to justify it. And I would always come back. Some would call that perseverance, but I grew up in a West Indian family. It's like, no, the child just li- listen to this and that. So mm. that's what had others think that you should, God, she's going to be a lawyer. And more than that, they said, you should be a judge because you're always in conflicts, resolution of some kind, and you're always wanting to hear both sides or just mostly defend your point. So that's why I would say that that naturally 
was how I would have, and if you look in my old yearbooks, I would have written judge or lawyer the whole time because of that's how mm-hmm. I perceived those professions. And so that's how I saw myself as, as a young, as a little girl. And at that time, who was, you know, an inspiration for you? And did you have any uh, women role models specifically that were kind of that ideal or a source of inspiration? So I ha- I would say generally, not as, I didn't have a lot of young women lawyers around me, certainly no young black uh, um, uh, women lawyers that I knew of in my environment, not even in my family. Mm-hmm. But I would say in terms of inspiration, there were, I would say two people. One was, and this woman was my mother, because, you know, mm-hmm. my mother, um, both my parents are feminists, but my mother was always like, you're going to do it. Like there, the sky's the limit. And there's, if there's a will, there's a way and there's nothing that you can't do. And it was not just affirmations that she stuck on the window. It was, she exemplified that mm-hmm. in her and everything she did. She, she's, she is, well, she's retired now, but she is, she was a teacher for years. So that generosity and of just doing it and volunteering and taking us with her everywhere was so for me that was a role model and the example of what was not only what was possible but what was expected Mm -hmm. and then the other person is a um it was a real person but I've obviously never met was Harriet Tubman yeah I say Mm -hmm. both my parents were um feminists so I, I still keep such a great memory of this in my and it's still there in the in the room where in my childhood bedroom, I was not older than seven years old. You know, a friend of my father's had gifted, uh, came with a a portrait of Harriet Tubman and he gave it to me. And at seven, Mm. he explained to me who she was and what she did in history of freeing slavery with courage and freeing slaves with courage and, and, and determination when like you got like everything against you. Um, and so in moments where I thought I had it hard, <laughs> I could always just, and I, I would wake up in the morning and portrait was just there. I'm like, girl, you don't know what hard is. <laughs> and then I'm like, yep. And I would just literally look up like, I got it. I could do this. Mm. Kind of. So those probably That's what I call a role model. For that's sure. what I call a role model. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm thinking you had way harder days. And in many ways, mm-hmm did all that so that people like me could do more. So mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Harriet Tubman to me was a huge home. And I always thought I, I even had said I did not have a daughter, but if I had, I would have named her Harriet. And tell me a little bit about, and it, it sounds like she also inspired kind of your, you know, your thirst for social justice and your interest in social justice. So tell mm-hmm. me about kind of the first chapter of, you know, your professional career, because many of our listeners will remember you from the world of politics, but what led you there? Yeah. Uh, what were the, the steps taking you to, to that chapter? Oh, really? And again, I never saw myself in that, in those shoes. And I get, and I say, so not because I did not think that that was something that was possible for me mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, I grew up with parents who were like, everything's possible. I just didn't, you have to see it to believe it kind of thing. And yeah. I didn't really see that as a place of active change. So like anything in life, when you're curious and you have passion about something and you take action, it brings you to where I think you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so just being active in the community, because I had the privilege of representing the community that I grew up in, 
And when there was a referendum, I I'll always bring this back because it wasn't just a referendum on the future of the country in 1995. It was also a period in my life when I was, I turned 18. Um, the referendum was at the end of October and I turned 18 on the 21st. I'm aging myself, but on the 21st of November, so yeah. by less than a month, I had lost the opportunity to take, to speak my voice on, to use my voice though I did use my voice, but to participate in what was a really important moment in our, in our history. Mm -hmm. So it was a lesson there for me. And I was getting involved in, you know, rallies and, and just getting Val and volunteers. And I was just, just active and I really cared. And I saw what it meant. What is, how could people not vote? Mm -hmm. I wish I could do that. I could, and I couldn't at that moment, so it was, I would say, a catalyst to what came. Because after that, I said, well, well, the referendum's over, but there's still needs in the community. There are still, um, whether it's healthcare, community, education. So I, I, that's how I started to stay involved mm. and understanding people's needs. I knew that that was something that I'd love to do, just having conversations um, being hired in, in a, in a, in a member's office, you know, once you have a little training, one of the first things that you, you learn to do is answer the phone. Right. And some people might be like, jeez, oh, I don't want to do that. Loved it. Cause you're in <laughs> communication about, yeah, you're in communicate. I told you I like to talk. You're in communication with people. I loved it. And because yeah. It was hard, but it also just kept me in contact with what people were living, what were their experiences, and how could I take that in, understand it, and try to see how there were solutions with, with this big thing we call government. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so that's how I would say the flame, the little spark, it always takes a little spark started, and that just flame started burning harder and harder and harder but there was never a moment where I was like well I'm gonna run for office at all hmm. it just it, when the opportunity was presented to me I was like wait hold on a second I know what this is really like I know how hard it is having watch and would do that yeah. and I don't know if that's something that I want to do and at the conversation I had with the premier at the time which which convinced me was that you know in life you want to have impact and you have this opportunity to to make an impact are you going to turn that down when and he was speaking to me when I didn't necessarily know when I, he says when I know that you have the talent to do it wow that would be very he knew how to get you I was like you're not in that seat for nothing <laughs> I walked in there and I was like, okay yeah all right I'll do it <laughs> yeah exactly he had to write arguments um and you know you've you've had it's it's been great watching your your career in politics, but you've made a switch going to work at well I would say still a government organization, but working for Hazur Canada CBC, mm -hmm. uh, leading mm -hmm. the DEI practice. Um, how do you apply your leadership differently? You know when your role was in politics and now within. Uh, Within, within a corporation, uh, you know, you're still having impact, you're still driving change, but I'm curious to know how your leadership differs, you know, from role to role. I would say, well, there are a couple of differences. One, I'm way more 
I'm a, a hope to say a little wiser with a little bit more experience. <laughs> I'm obviously not in a partisan arena anymore, but the common thread yeah. to me is public service. Um, mm-hmm. And it is working in a crown corporation, working for Radio Canada, working for Radio Canada CBC is to me a public service because the mm-hmm. ultimate shareholder is the people or the public broadcaster. And especially in a role of equity, diversity, and inclusion, I just have an innate understanding of what it means to want to show up and be seen as your full self. And everybody should deserves to do that. So mm. it's a huge motivator in every, I don't even know if that's an English word, but it's a huge motivation, I should say, yeah. every yep. day to work towards that. Just mm-hmm. banking on opportunities that I've had and paying it forward, but also understanding that I think that we're just better when we do that mm-hmm. <laughs> as an organization, mm-hmm. as a country, and we're doing that. So that to me is the common thread. Um, I think you've answered that in 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 you know the last answer to to my previous question. But what's your definition of gender equity? Mm, I like this is a, my definition of gender equity for me is really about being able to show up, be seen, be heard, and participate as your full self, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and making sure that the systems in place are in such a way that that is possible for all. Love that definition. I think it sums it really well. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women and Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice, puts guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way, so we can all share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. We know, speaking of of gender equity, especially in the workplace, we know that women and women leaders specifically are leaving organizations at a high rate. There's been a ton of studies published during COVID, post-COVID, Um, and this is widening what we call the quitting gap between women and men, especially in senior roles. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an impact for employers. It's not a positive impact, obviously. What do you think contributes to this, you know, mass exit of women from the workplace? Is it something that you've witnessed? Is it something that you're familiar with? And what do you think makes them so dissatisfied with their experience at work? Hmm, I could probably speak to, um, and I'm in media, right? Mm-hmm. So in media, um, the industry can be particularly difficult on women in executive roles and yeah. can be particularly difficult when you think about even in broadcasting, you're too young, you're too, mm-hmm. you're too old, you're too this, you're too that, um, Even just having had that experience of the times that I was on air that people, whether they thought it was positive or negative to me is not the issue, but never felt any way about making a comment about my physical appearance. <laughs> mm-hmm. So 
all of those things, again, to what I was saying earlier, make it more challenging for us to show up as our full selves. Uh, We'll go out to, you know, the fact that, and this is many women's, I think a lot of women listening to us, he will, will be shaking their heads listening to this. And it's, it's been my experience. Well, you have the degrees, you have the experience, but you got to come into the room and you got to justify your reason for even being there. And yeah. you don't have the luxury of forgetting the file or forgetting the number or not doing that when your male counterpart does have that. And that that is, I don't care how resilient you think you are, but those are not things that want you to make you stay in a place (laughs) and make it a work environment where you feel like you can, again, contribute to your, to yourself. Because I have been in in environments where, so I had the, the, the privilege of being in the first gender parity government in Quebec where it was 50-50 female. So I have oh, yeah. experience of one that was and wasn't that wasn't. Right. It's completely different. I think it was the best government because it just completely different in terms of the types of discussions, in terms of what came forward, in terms of how we spoke to each other. Mm. And the innovation, creativity, you know, you read that empirical data, but when you live it, I don't know if you, I don't care what gender you are, you, when you live it and you live the benefit from it for all, you you cannot not be convinced. Mm-hmm. So to go back to your question, I think that when all those things are not in place, it makes it difficult. And I will just add one thing, a big, big thing I think that we have to be very conscious of is the culture. Right. Culture, culture, culture. Mm. And women are just not having it. We're just not having it anymore. We're not going to... You know your value, you know your worth. You're not going to put life is short, like pandemic and everything taught us all of that, right? So Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're not going to tolerate or put up with, as we shouldn't, things we have in the past. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's And it's interesting, you know, when you opened, uh, you, you talked about, you know, what's expected of, of a woman versus a man in, in the workplace. And this makes me think we just had a conversation with uh, wonderful leaders, you know, doing DI work earlier today. And somebody brought up that women are evaluated on the, their specific, per, you know, performance. We have to show results, whereas men mm-hmm. are evaluated on their potential. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not mm-hmm. that's not a pleasant place to be for any woman. Oh, that, oh, um, yes, that's so well said. That is so true. Output, output output as opposed to potential. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of employers who, you know, are starting to do DI work and might not always be sure where to start and the ones that are, you know, focused on gender equity as part of that plan, you know, it could be that they're unsure where to start. It could also be that some some efforts have been done, uh, but the impact's not yet, you know, showing. And and Mm -hmm. as as you would know best uh, of all people, uh, it's not simple putting together a DI program for any organizations and there needs to be a lot of criteria making it a success. Um, but for those wondering in general, what's a good place to start? Who needs to be part of the efforts? Who needs to lead the efforts? 
what kind of objectives should be set up, and also what kind of governance should be implemented to make sure the program is indeed a success. So the first question that I would ask as an organization and as a leader of an organization, if you're if you are thinking about, or let's be quite honest, feel pressured to <laughs> put a DEI plan or team in place, is ask yourself and your organization before you hire anybody, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And have the guts, the courage, and the humility to answer that question, frankly, which is not an easy thing. Because if you don't, it will come back to bite you in the bleep anyway. Mm -hmm. Why, as an organization, is this important for us to do? If your answer is, well, there's people are demanding it, you might want to go back to the drawing board and and dig a little further. If you have, it is okay to a certain point, let me say, let me just say this, because no one has ever really, this whole thing is like, I'm ready. I am DEI ready. I have, I'm in this role, but I've seen different things. I've not met anyone who's like, I'm a hundred percent. If I've got everything together, let's just roll with it. It's a journey. Mm-hmm. It's a long journey. There are adjustments. There are there's progress. There's there is um, mishaps, and and you're constantly learning. So I don't know that I hundred percent believe in like there's this moment that you're ready, but there's a certain amount of yeah. questions, as I was saying, that you should be asking yourself before you start doing things. And what mm-hmm. the point I was trying to get to was that you know you can be. There can be things like a lot of people like like George Floyd that can maybe open your eyes to certain things that were already injustices that were already existing, but that as an organization has forced you to see it. Now you can't unsee it. That's good, but that's just a starting point. That can't be mm-hmm. the reason. I say mm-hmm. that because your reason and the mission and the mandate is what's going to motivate you and push you to do the right things and sometimes that are the really hard things to do. So Mm -hmm. that's the first Mm -hmm. question. And once you are clear as to what is the why, then it's easier for you to first make sure that you have the right people to help you. And I say really help you because it's not an answer to think that you're going to you're going to transfer the responsibility, whether it is to an EDI team or to human resources to I'm air quoting here, take care of it. It is someone that is going to, and people that are going to help you integrate an EDI lens throughout your whole organization. Otherwise, you will find yourself in a ticking box exercise. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. in terms of a governance point of view to the last part of your question, that's what I feel is super important to do. It's not just about setting objectives, targets, and reaching them is how are you making Mm -hmm. sure that in those objectives and targets that you have an all-encompassing integrating your in the systems and way of working into it? And how are you, that's what I'm saying, it's not easy. How are you as an organization making sure that you're going to communicate and be Mm -hmm. transparent? I don't mean communicate only talking about what went well. It's also mm-hmm. just being 
That's how you build trust with your 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 teams. Is it's also communicating when we just haven't been at the level that we should at the exactly. at the objective that we that, that we gave ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you bring that up, that up that came up in in a conversation we had earlier today. Somebody called it you know the trust gap, where. Um, and this is interesting because uh, we we were talking about a study that Renstad uh, uh, led post pandemic, and um, a large number of employees believed that their company was not doing enough, or that you know if they had a DEI program in place, it was just skimming the surface; it wasn't you know addressing enough. So there's that challenge too of, you know, there's stakeholders who are internal, meaning employees, there's external stakeholders and companies want to avoid doing pink washing or, you know, the, whatever the version of green washing yeah, is. Pink washing, green washing, equity, diversity, washing, all of the surface, not depth work. Right. Yeah. And there's that effort to really show that this is being done, you know, the right way and that the measures are having impact. Mm-hmm. So I would say to that, it is a constant question. So you have to, Mm -hmm. a constant that you have to be really intentional again as to the why will bring you into account. And people are real savvy. (laughs) They can Mm -hmm. tell you and will call you on your bleep. I don't, it sounds like I swear a lot in real life. I actually don't, but but, um. They will call you on your BS. Mm -hmm. And the thing is about the trust gap, it's not because you decided that you all of a sudden are going to take care of things, that all of a sudden that people are going to give you 100% of their trust. Trust Mm -hmm. is something that is earned a day, Mm -hmm. a moment, an event at a time. So you Mm -hmm. show people and you teach them that they can trust you. So that mm-hmm. gap is there. So it's not all of a sudden because an event happened and that, oh my goodness, I seen the light that all of a sudden it's there. You've got to work on it every day. And again, with communication, right. transparency, and I really do like to go back on the communication point because sometimes people hear public relations and that's not what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. I want to talk about intersectionality, which is obviously mm. an important part of, of equity work. Um and, you know, two questions in there for you. So in your experience, how are other factors and gender, so it could be race and age, for example, how, how are they amplifying the existing gender bias? And how can employers, companies that are implementing DI practices, you know, uh, um, take into account these additional factors when they are working on DI programs. So factors that also contribute to that unconscious bias and have a negative impact on women's experience overall. But first it's recognizing them. Mm-hmm. And that might be an easy thing to say, but as we've seen in many places, it's not that easy thing to think. I, I have to say that unfortunately there have been moments, um, especially early on in my career where I, I have consistently heard women say in leadership roles for advocacy, say things like we'll take care of women and we'll look at the racial equity issue after, which to me was unbelievable. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then people will say things like universal, but what they really mean is one group. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it does go back to, to me, understanding is like, including me or including someone else is not excluding you. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. When are we going to learn that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, and it's, and I feel like at some point, every group kind of goes through that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. learning in terms of inclusion. And that's, so first for me, it's like, there has to be a recognition. I can speak of lived experience mm-hmm. the, as a black woman. My experience is different from that of a white woman, a woman living with a, um, a disability Mm-hmm. as a different experience and that needs to be recognized in how we include. So I would almost say, even as a community, I wish, and I will go out there and put that, I wish I could see more solidarity on that yeah. and we would be yeah. stronger. Mm-hmm. 100%. I will call that out as it is. And I think we would just help each other. But fundamentally, and I see this in my work all the time, it does always many times come down to maybe not an understanding of the other person's experience, give people the understanding to understand it and saying, including me does not exclude you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a great line. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. 100% true. Mm -hmm. What is your definition of leadership? So now stepping away from, from gender equity in general, what is leadership for you? For me, leadership is empathy. And I think we just need that. It's empathy. It's generosity. It is vulnerability. It's courage and it's humility. I think those are like two big words that I try to like. It's like courage and humility. I mean, like I'm going to walk out there and I'm going to do the best that I can, even though I do not know all the answers. And I am learning on this every day, just like you are. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to show you that. Mm I'm going to show that to you. And just the humility to say that, you know, I was just saying that to a team member this morning. You know what? I messed that up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I should not have in that moment said that in that way. That to me is what leadership is. Because if you, you cannot expect others to have a conduct that you are not ready to, you are not prepared to exemplify in every day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Yolanda. I wish we could keep talking about this topic. Uh, These were great insights. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening today. If you did enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Yeah.